Hello and welcome to Mashley at the Movies. I am Matt. I am Ashley. And we are joined by Grant. Hi, Grant. Hi, guys. Grant has been on the show with us before. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at Hot Dog Cinema and online at hotdogcinema.wordpress.com. And we are here to talk with you today about a film available from Criterion. So this is part of our Criterion series where they're like a, a movie distribution label and usually put out pretty, pretty good movies. So periodically we'll talk about one of them. And today's is Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. I'm going to hand it over to Grant to, to tell us uh, what it's about. Uh, thanks, Matt. Yeah, so uh, Akira Kurosawa is a, a very famous uh, Japanese film director, and this film, Dreams, was made right at the end of uh, his career. Um, he was mostly known for making uh, sort of samurai films or film noirs, Japanese film noirs, but this film is very different. It's based on his own dreams, and the film comprises of eight, I guess you could say, fairy tale like dreams. Um, that Kurosawa was sort of had in his lifetime. And each of these dreams sort of flows from one to the next. They're all linked by a theme of kind of uh, interaction, interactions with the environment or the, the, the natural world. Um, they start off with a sort of um, almost an autobiographical sort of uh, dream sequence in which there's a young boy who um, uh, spies on some dancing foxes in the forests and he shouldn't have seen them. Um, and it sort of it goes on and there's there's a section of a dream where uh, there's a, a nuclear disaster, uh, which is obviously very, very um, topical and, and relevant to the Japanese psyche. Uh, there's a dream sequence in which an artist becomes lost in the um, the actual artwork of Vincent van Gogh, who's played by Martin Scorsese in this film. And then at the end, it sort of progresses to uh, a final sequence, which is uh, about death, really, uh, and uh, is set in a sort of Japanese village which where people live a very simple life and a very contented life, and there's a, there's a funeral uh, in this village. Uh, I wouldn't say too much more about what the film is about because the, it doesn't really have a, a, a plot in the sort of usual sense of the word. Uh, as I say, it's sort of eight loosely related uh, dream sequences um, that are inspired by um, the great director's own own dreams. Um, I think I'll, I'll leave it there and I'll hand over back to you guys. That was a really good description. Um, this is my first... Uh, Akira Kurosawa film and I have to say that I really loved it um, visually it's it's beautiful to look at um, I, I liked the little vignettes they they are very kind of dreamlike you know some that kind of dream logic and um, surreal imagery um, I liked that um, they were kind of linked as you said by um, the natural world you know and a man's appreciation of nature um, kind of the terror that can sometimes arise from nature, the um, man's impact on nature negatively, um, also. So that it's it's kind of you know all different kind of aspects of man and nature. So I love that about it. Uh, but you know what I will really take away from this is just the 
the visual beauty of, of the movie. And particularly in the first two uh, vignettes, which I think are my favorites. Um, and those are the ones that to me felt the most kind of based on folklore or fantasy and were just gorgeous to look at. Um, I, I, I liked or could appreciate the, the other dreams. Um, to me, they got a little, some of the later ones got a little heavy handed in their messaging. Um, but um, aside from that, um, as a whole, I, I really loved it. So before I watched this, um, I did just dip briefly onto Rotten Tomatoes and skim, skim read some of the reviews. And one snippet of the review I saw said that they thought the first half of this movie was better than the second half. I would agree with that. This is my own personal take. Um, because I do feel like the second half does kind of venture into a little bit more kind of, you know, uh, messagey, preachy territory. Um, uh, you know, Grant, Grant was correct earlier when he talked about they all like sort of have a sort of a, a nature element to each of them. But as it progresses, it gets a little more heavy handed with, like I said, the message of, <clears throat> I think, what he's trying to say. Um, but they're all, they're all very visually stunning in, in very different ways. Um, there's some magical realism going on in these segments. There's, uh, almost a fairy tale aspect. You know, I don't know how easy it is to convey a sort of a dreamlike quality, uh, in, in film. Um, I think it's actually more difficult than, than not. And I, not many of these really came across to me like dreams. And I know that's what they were inspired by, but it came across to me more like fairy tales or even nightmares, which I guess are kind of what dreams are. But, um, yeah, I, I, my favorites, if we're going to talk about favorites here, I think, uh, my favorite actually would probably be oddly enough, the one called the tunnel. Um, I don't, I don't quite know why exactly it's hard to put my finger on it, but that's one where uh, a soldier walks through a tunnel and comes out the other end. And like on either side, he, there's this really weird dog <laughs> that's barking at him. Um, and then there are first one soldier and then many soldiers who follow him through the tunnel that are, um, dead and they're, they're ghosts and they, they were part of his, you know, infantry or platoon and they don't really quite get the fact that they're dead. Uh, and so he has this conversation with them and I don't know, something about that. I just felt just the mood of that piece and the, un the emotional undercurrent, um, uh, kind of, kind of really got to me. Uh, but yeah, these, these each have their own, their own tone. I think, I think if there's my least favorite of these would probably be, um, the sixth and seventh, there's eight altogether, but the sixth and seventh, which are, um, Mount Fuji in red, which is very nightmarish. That's basically when it, um, Mount Fuji erupts and then it sets off, uh, uh, nuclear power plants, mm -hmm. uh, uh, as well and causes radioactive fallout. Uh, I mean, that was, that was, that was a really difficult one <laughs> to watch. And then the one after that called the weeping demon, which, um, is pretty, pretty dark, uh, as well. So, um, yeah. But those are those are some of my thoughts on it. I'll throw it back to you, Grant. Uh, thanks, guys. Um, yeah, I think so. The first thing that strikes you, and, and it's most it, most noticeable in the first two sort of uh, dreams, uh, as you guys have said, is just the colours in this film are outrageously good. 
you know it's it's like a kaleidoscope of, of these of these colors just sort of wash over you when you're watching the film and if you take screenshots from this film you know they really do look like pieces of art mm-hmm. um particularly in the first two um dreams and and that's that's not just the sort of um the colors he uses is everything it's the framing the production design the costumes of some of the people uh, I, and i i think that's that's so impressive in this movie and something that he was you know known for really particularly at the end of his career um and it it's all the more fascinating because kurosawa was losing his sight when he was making these films um but he'd actually been a painter uh before he was a director and i think you can you can sense that in some of the, in some of these 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 dreams um matt mentioned the tunnel which is a, one of the sequences which i i find quite frightening mm-hmm. and i think it, it's pretty it's really well done um but for me i think the my favorite would probably be the first the first dream which is um in the forest with the with the foxes and the little boy and then there's a great shot and it's on the cover of the dvd i think but of the rainbow coming up over the forest as the little boy is sort of set against it and heading into the forest that's just you know fantastic shot um and i also like the last the last dream um which is in the sort of the village of the watermills uh it's again the colors are, are, are beautiful um the messaging is a bit sort of you know heavy-handed in that about the simplicity of of, of um a very basic life but then there's throughout that sequence there's just the sound of the watermills and the trickling water and it's a perfect backdrop to the sort of you know uh that kind of take he's trying to he's kind of he's trying to make uh but i i think that this film is very unique i can't think of many films that are like this uh in terms of really d- capturing i think what a dream or a fairy tale or a nightmare is is really about and i think very different to the rest of the films in his filmography um and interesting that he chose to do this film at the end of his the end of his career um rather than i think earlier on but i i i agree with everything that's been said and i think it's a quite an underseen film really yeah i uh, i agree with you about how the different uh, vignettes, they, they all have scenes that, to me, you could take any individual frame and hang it on the wall. They are like works of art. And I also liked um, the pacing of these, particularly, and I noticed it particularly in the, in the first one, where, you know, the boy is watching the foxes dance. And I, can, I, I imagined that some people watching that might already be tuning out because it, it it's a little slow, but I loved it because it was, it just gave you time to observe and to kind of be drawn into it. And I loved that. And so I, I love that none of these to me felt rushed at all. Um, and I also really, you know, I really loved the, the one that, that centers around the man entering the Van Gogh paintings. I think visually that was stunning. Mm-hmm. And it really does look like he's walking <clears throat> through a Van Gogh painting. Um, it was a George Lucas uh, production on that. Oh, was it? Yeah. I wondered. Yeah, it looked fantastic. And um, now I was a little distracted, I have to say, by Martin Scorsese. 
I was like, oh, okay, That's, that took me out of it for a little bit. But hey, you know, you might have a dream where Martin Scorsese is Van Gogh. So, um. it's funny. After the movie was over, that's when you told me that that was Martin Scorsese. I did not pick up on that, but what I did pick up on was, I mean, so that that sequence with the Van Gogh is the only one that's not in Japanese. It's in French and in English, and you know, <laughs> when he meets Van Gogh, it's it's this guy with a New York accent speaking English. <laughs> and I found that distracting. I'm like, what? What's going on here? But I did not recognize that as Martin Scorsese. Oh, as soon as he uttered his first word, I was like, that's Martin Scorsese. Um, but, you, you know, only in a dream would Martin Scorsese play Van Gogh. So. Yeah. No, you talk about the pacing. Um, these are, you know, I think the term I like to use is deliberately paced. These are all very deliberately paced. Um, but I think it works. I mean, these are... Um, these are uh, mesmerizing, even I think intoxicating in a way. Uh, each segment to to varying degrees. I mean, the, the ones I mentioned as being my least favorites, even though I still like them, the more nightmarish ones maybe are not quite so intoxicating. But um, you know, like watching the the foxes, right? Um, the, which are in human form. Um, the 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 peach orchard one was interesting. Even the blizzard one. The, the blizzard one is interesting because it's just about, I think it's three or four guys who are trying to ascend a, a mountain and it's a blizzard. And you think that they're, they're almost, they almost do die. Uh, uh, but that one, it takes its time, um, showing you what they're going through. And I think that it's, it's sort of, it's, it lulls you into this sort of mood, right? Um, and I think maybe that's, it, it's like watching a dream, I guess, mm-hmm. in that regard. This whole, even though these stories are not interconnected per se, although some of them feature the same person, um, they are all connected, I think, and they are trying to affect a particular mood that kind of, uh, runs throughout the whole, the whole thing. And I, I will say that even though segments six and seven, I mean, they're sort of like the, if you want to call this movie having a climax, I feel like uh, six and seven are sort of the climax eight, which is uh village of the watermills that uh, Grant referenced earlier. It's a really nice epilogue. Um, Cause you talk about Grant, the, the, the trickling water um, and you know, this movie does get pretty heavy handed with its environmental messaging, which is not one I disagree with, but it's, it's pretty, pretty obvious what they're trying to, he's trying to say. Um, but, uh, the last part of the village of the watermills is really good at the sort of kind of, you know, you've seen how terrifying abusive the environment can become and how it can impact us. And then part eight is just, um, this guy happens upon a very beautiful village that has no electricity. Uh, it just has, uh, it, it's powered by, by watermills that, um, uh, uh, yeah, and everyone there seems fairly content. And he just spends time talking to an old man who looks like Dick Van Dyke from Mary Poppins. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, and, and the old man, it's just basically the old man doing a monologue espousing his philosophy and the philosophy of the village and how they are so in tune with nature. And it's, it is, um, really, I think, after everything we have witnessed in this movie, it is the culmination of what I think Kurosawa is trying to say is maybe the, the, the ultimate or the peak in what we 
what man could have with nature. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, it's a lovely, it's a lovely segment. Uh, throw back to you, Grant. Yeah, uh, I, I think that I think that's a nice way to term the last the last dream sequence. Is it, it is like an epilogue, um, and it and it works well in that way. Um, but I, th- I think this is a film. When somebody says, "Oh, have you watched Dreams?" You don't really think you've watched it. It's sort of it's like an experience. I've, I I found that it, it, it was it just sort of washes as I say washes over you, um, and I found myself kind of thinking. I don't really care what this is about. It just looks so good. And, and I feel good watching it. You know, it makes me feel good. <laughs> um, uh, and uh, <clears throat> yeah, and I'm not usually, I wouldn't say I'm somebody that is always drawn to type, to those types of films. Um, but I was, I was, you know, this is a film I've watched uh, an awful lot. Um, and each time, um, as Ashley was saying, each time you sort of, you look in the frame you can kind of you spot something new as well there's so much going on in some of these um these sequences uh and and you mentioned that the tunnel and i I, and i'll just go back to that one because there's a great sequence in that where the, the the frame is always completely dark and all you can see is a little lantern in a house which is for like uh, some distance from the tunnel and uh you know our sort of character um our, our uh military officer just sort of is looking longingly at this at this lantern and he knows that he can't go there you know that that's like home or something like that and i think that's such a powerful you know scene and there's there's almost there's nothing happening and there's not much happening with the colors either there's just this like little lantern in a dark frame and <clears throat> works so well uh, and uh, and just to uh, reflect lastly is um, you know I think when this film was released um, people like George Lucas um, and, and Spielberg as well did try to do some things to try to get it a bit of a um, you know get a bit of momentum behind it um, because they, they felt it was you know a really good movie that probably wouldn't be seen very much um, <clears throat> at least outside of Japan and I think that they'd they played George Lucas in particular had played a similar role with the last couple of Kurosawa's movies. Uh, something else too, uh, while we're talking about the tunnel, um, you know, it's an interesting perspective to get. You know, the, the I think this is I don't want to sound preachy here, but I think it's one reason it's important to watch movies that are not from your native country, right? Is you you, you different perspectives that you gain um, and. For example, the tunnel is, I, I think, at least according to Wikipedia, uh, the tunnel, the main character in the tunnel is, is, a, is a, someone who's just gotten done fighting in World War II. Uh, so, you know, I mean, Ashley and I are Americans. Grant, you're, you know, British. So we were the allies. <laughs> the Japanese were our enemies back then. But, you know, you know, and they were killing each other. But, you know, here you see, you see the humanity of just another human being who happened to be on the opposite side of a war. Uh, and they know that, you know, all of his comrades were killed. Um, he's, you know, he's feeling pretty dejected and, and whatnot. And, and also too, and Grant, you touched on this earlier briefly, but the theme here of um, radiation and nuclear energy and, and fallout and whatever. I mean, obviously, I mean, <laughs> We dropped a couple bombs on Japan um, back in the day. So 
that that scars the the national psyche to, for a country that that happens to. So you know, um, it's just it's just interesting getting that uh, seeing those you know getting that perspective. I, th- I think that's a really good point, Matt. Because how how often in sort of cinema, particularly in the sort of eighties um, and the nineties, would you really see a a portrayal of a Jap- of, of you know Japanese military from the from the World War Two that wasn't very very negative? Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. In the tunnel, you know. So the main character, I think the way it's framed is that the main character is alive, and then everyone else he encounters is dead. Did you ever wonder, though, at a certain point, if he was also dead? Yes. You're nodding your head. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it's something that rattles around in my brain every time I watch it. You know, it's a bit like a, when I first started to watch Blade Runner and I think, is Deckard a replicant? Uh, <laughs> you know, it's the same. Uh, I think I think it's I think it's intended that he isn't dead. OK. That, but as I say, I probably switch my mind every time I see it. Yeah. Something else I too I liked about this movie is um, some of it, and again going back to the tunnel, uh, that's where I picked up on it initially. But I feel like a lot of this movie is very obviously ADR, like it's very obvious post production sound. Some of the dialogue, but also some of the, a lot of the sound effects, which is the case in a lot of movies, right? You know, I mean, footsteps you hear and <laughs> things in films are often just done in post with you know sound effects folks, but Foley artists, but. It's really obvious in this movie, but not in a bad way. And I think it kind of also adds to this, as Grant framed it earlier, this experience that you're watching. Um, and, and, you know, but like, for example, in the tunnel sequence, this dog that the main character encounters mm-hmm. twice. I mean, the dog, it's obviously not the real barking of the dog that we're hearing. It's um, really kind of actually horrifying, weird weird sound effects. Yeah. It's quite a small dog, but it's yeah. a very big, frightening. And yeah. And so that's when I was very obviously first clued into the fact that like, Oh, there's some, there's some post-production audio happening here. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of picked up on it more with the rest of the movie. But again, I think that actually adds something to it. It adds this, this kind of weirder, magical realist element kind of to it no i would agree with that i feel like the tunnel is perhaps the one that's going to haunt me the most yeah i feel it's the one we're talking about the most right and even though i said the first two were perhaps my favorite i love them visually and i'll never i won't forget them but this one you know it lingers with you and i don't know the certainly the theme of it is 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 very dark and um yeah it's 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 one that might haunt your own dreams i think Mm mm-hmm yeah, I'll kick it back to you, Grant. Do you have any 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 further thoughts? I, I think I'd say that uh, parts of the film sometimes make me feel like I'm watching a play, or that it would work very well on stage. <clears throat> um, I don't know why I say that. I just I get that feeling um, when I watch it. Uh, I think maybe as a last reflection, then uh, if you, you know, if if this is a film that you found you know, really, uh, really good and enjoyable. Um, and the colors were things that really, you know, had a positive impact on you. Then I think any film that Kurosawa made in color would, would also do the same job because, (laughs) um, some of his other films, um, from the eighties particularly were 
almost as good as this in terms of their use of of colour, although thematically very, very different to this movie. Uh, and that's why I kind of feel it's such a special film because it's it's such a unique film um, in in his filmography and his filmography is very impressive. I, I agree with you about the um, the stage aspect of some of them, particularly the second one, the Peach Orchard. Mm-hmm. I remember watching it at the time. It looks like you know some grand opera staging of of something. Um, so that one definitely, yeah, and I love that aspect about it. That one I was actually trying to figure out how they made how they made that, you know, because this is, um, you know, I mean, this is thirty two years ago this movie came mm-hmm. out, so it's visual effects. I mean, I, I think they're more like practical effects. Than, I was just trying to figure out how they did that, but yeah, that was a yeah definitely kind of stagey feeling. Well, and in that one too, the the protagonist, the little boy, he's kind of the audience, right? And they're putting on the show. yeah they're putting on the show for him. So yeah, it feels very much like a stage production. All right, so uh, we do our scores here for this. Um, Ashley, what would you give this out of 10? I'm going to give it 8.5 out of 10. Okay, that's uh, my score as well. And Grant, how about you? Uh, I'll give this a 9. All right, so our score then is an 8.7, and that is Akira Kurosawa's Dreams. So thank you all for listening. And Grant, thank you again for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks very much. Thank, Thank you. Thank you.